Hey there, welcome to episode 22 of the Boob Report podcast, powered by Helix Interactive. Today, I'm hanging out with Drew Linsalata, the creator and host of The Anxious Truth, a slightly unorthodox anxiety podcast that is supporting, inspiring, encouraging, and most importantly, empowering individuals to overcome anxiety and fear. Let's get started. Okay, we are going to dive right into this and talk about all kinds of stuff relating to anxiety and depression, because I think it's incredibly important. You guys know how transparent I am about mine. So I thought it would be fantastic to have Drew join us today. He's written some books. He's got a podcast. He's just an all around badass dude that's going to help us sort of wiggle our way through this. That's a hell of an Hi, introduction. Drew. Badass dude, Michelle. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Happy to try to contribute whatever I can. Yes, I appreciate it. Well, it's, I think, why don't we start with uh, your story and how you got started and we can go as deep as you want, sure. whatever you want to share. I just, I think it's important for people to know that they're not alone when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, actually, I just realized I'm the first male guest on the Boob Report. So yes. this feels very You're special. You're going to get a big gold star. I'm going to get yeah. a big gold star. That'll be a <laughs> trivia question one day. It was the first male guest yeah. on the Boob Report. Um, so my background is that I suffered for many, many years, like 25 plus years of my life with, with anxiety disorders, like panic disorder and agoraphobia. It's some OCD tendencies. I had a thing called monophobia where I was afraid to be left alone. And then I had periods of like just crushing clinical depression. So that's where I come from. And in the process of learning how to navigate through that on three different occasions over 25 years, you know, really the third time was the charm that I, I really did the work that I needed to do and actually solve the problem once and for all. And since then, I have been pretty active in sharing that story. It started as just like, hey, look, when I really needed help, now when I was first in that situation, this was pre-internet, right? So you and I are probably roughly the same age or so. There was no internet, so I know nothing there. And the second time was also like pretty early on, you know, in the whole internet thing. I was building the internet when it happened to me the second time, but it was it was all in, in its infancy, so there wasn't a lot of resource. The third time, I there was the internet, and I did mm -hmm. make friends via YouTube, and we would share videos encouraging each other and things like that. So I got so much help from such great people, many of whom are still friends of mine to this day that I felt it was incumbent upon me to share my experience and, and pass it along and see if anybody could stand on my shoulders like I stood on other people's shoulders. Right. And that just turned into, you know, helping people online in different forms and whatnot. And then I started a podcast in 2014, talking to nobody, like in my living room, and a $5 app on my phone. And, <laughs> um, and it just kept going and going and going. And now it's a very large podcast that focuses on anxiety disorders and anxiety recovery and depression and all that stuff. Um, there's a huge social media community around it. I've written books. And I'm actually a grad student in clinical mental health counseling now. So it's been, a, wow. it's been, a, yeah, I don't know if you know that, but I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So ask me. Big or, reveal. Yeah. It's yeah. Big reveal. Um, so it's, it's a thing. That's the journey that I've been on. And so my bailiwick is really anxiety disorders and recovery from anxiety disorders. So, mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of overlap, I'm sure in your community. And I know in my community, people who have legitimate health concerns, uh, mm -hmm. A lot of the things that I address, people have health anxiety that are not actually ill, but are afraid that they are. You might know that as like hypochondriasis or people who are hypochondriacs. Um, that's a real thing. But then there's also a fairly large segment of the community who comes with legitimate health concerns like breast cancer. 
And that yeah. kicks off a bunch of anxiety and depression. And there's always that wonder, well, how do I deal with this? No, I really am sick. How do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. So, Well, it's, you know, just from me, and you and I have discussed this uh, before, is that I had an issue with anxiety and depression before my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I, I don't think I ever really recognized or paid attention to. Mm-hmm. My husband and I did go through counseling together for marriage counseling and things like that. We yeah. really wanted to be able to connect better and things. But um, I really honestly believe that that breast cancer diagnosis really exacerbated the anxiety and the depression. Oh, sure. And I, that coupled with um, survivor's guilt, because my journey wasn't as difficult mm-hmm. as some other women's that um, I struggled with that a lot. And I, I mean, I got to be honest, there were some days it took every ounce of energy I had to get out of bed. Oh yeah. That's, every ounce of energy. That's a real thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, anybody, if you're listening and you're in that situation or you've been there, you know what Michelle is saying. I would not wish that on my worst enemy in the world. I would honestly, my feeling is I would take the anxiety over the depression any day and twice on Sunday. Right. That's my own personal feeling. So I get that. And you know, for people who come to the table already, you already had an anxiety problem and you were already prone to depression. Yeah. Yeah. Your diagnosis Mm -hmm. would absolutely like kind of add fuel to that fire. There's no doubt. I see it every day, every day. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, and I think, um, we can talk about this is that I think sometimes with a, a major health diagnosis like that, cancer, mm-hmm. heart disease, anything, it's such a, a blow, you know, to your, to your mental state. Cause I know the world just literally stopped when I got that call sure. from the nurse, you know, and it was no offense to her, very clinical. This mm-hmm. is what she does. I mean, you know, there was some, I, I could hear some caring, there was, you know, compassion there, but it was like, you've got breast cancer. We got to get on this. And literally by the end of the week, I was in for an MRI. I was meeting a surgeon. We got on that merry-go-round day, go, 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 go. And I think for me, it never really set in. Yeah. You've got cancer. There is something in your body that is trying to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a huge slap in the face. It's a bolt of lightning. It's all of those things. And human beings, you know, we're incredibly resilient. But part of that resilience is that we feel that lightning bolt. We feel that slap in the face, that punch in the jaw. We get knocked in our asses all the time. That's part mm-hmm. of being human. And I think yeah. uh, sometimes I've heard people describe, and maybe this is your experience too, that initial shock. And by the way, this goes for people who have health issues and, and get a diagnosis like breast cancer or some other diagnosis themselves, or who may lose a loved one or uh-huh. find that their their marriage just collapsed out from under them. They had no idea that was coming. Any major, major event like that often turns into, well, I just kind of went on autopilot for a while and then the wheels fell off mentally, Mm -hmm. mental health wise. I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's an incredibly common story. (laughs) Yes, Yes. absolutely. I I can absolutely relate to that because I started uh, some of the physical side effects of having a bilateral mastectomy and then having the implants put in and all of that didn't hit me until about eight months after my surgery. And I, I went, got back into physical therapy because I, I couldn't lift my left arm. I was cording. My, my lymph nodes were cording. Yeah. And uh, when I went in for physical therapy, she was like, you know, this usually happens about six to eight weeks after the initial surgery. She goes, you haven't accepted the fact that you had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. 
And I literally lost it on the table. Yeah, right there. I cried my eyes out right then. Got myself back into therapy, mental therapy. Yeah. And it was exactly right. I just, I no, this isn't real. This isn't happening. We're just moving on, moving on. Yeah. Often it's it's not the actual event and people that have anxiety. And I'm always addressing, look, it's important for me to say there's, everybody has anxiety. All human beings experience anxiety. It's a natural state. It actually serves a purpose in our life to a certain right. extent. I'm always addressing disordered anxiety. So there's like external anxiety, which is, man, I'm really anxious because I just had a huge fight at work and I might lose my job or I'm, I'm you know, my relationship is on the rocks. Yeah, you're going to have some anxiety in that. That's normal, right? Mm -hmm. I'm always dealing with, Disordered anxiety, where the anxiety becomes the driver of more anxiety. And uh, yeah. 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 Okay. So I see your, uh, those of you watching on video could see Michelle's face change. So we're always talking about that. Some amount of anxiety when situations like this occur in our life is normal. It's supposed to happen. You, we don't want it to happen, but it's supposed to. But then right. things get kicked into overdrive when the anxiety becomes the source of more anxiety, which is what I'm always addressing. And I, I bet a lot of your listeners can understand. Um, yes. major life events can often be the triggers that, that turn regular anxiety into air quotes, disordered anxiety. So mm -hmm. super common that's happening. Very common. Well, and I think, um, you know, we're recording this at a time when we're going through still yeah. going through the pandemic. And yeah. I think a lot more people are going through, uh, struggling mentally. Yes. And, and didn't realize that they had that, you know, maybe they were able to kind of keep it at bay, like you were saying, but right. when you're faced with just life altering yeah. events, it just, it can rear its ugly head, so yeah. to speak. Very difficult. And even now, I mean, you know, again, to just validate some of the folks that are listening, even, you know, we're going still going through the pandemic. It's like the, the, the movie that never ends. And I yeah. think there is a lot, there's a fair amount of data that's starting to show up that says, you know, people who have had COVID-19, it's not a COVID-19 podcast, but are mm -hmm. much more prone to develop anxiety disorders like panic disorder after the fact. Mm -hmm. But that's not news. People who have heart attacks often develop these sort of things. People have major medical diagnosis. So yeah, the world is just pressing on us all the damn time right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's really common to, you know, at some point you tip over the edge a little bit. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's why it was so important to me to do this specific episode with you, because I, I, I really believe that knowledge is power. And the more we talk about it and the more people know that there's resources out there available to them, yeah. you know, and not be afraid to ask for help, I think is is huge because. I, I mean, I, I grew up in Texas and I grew up with a very large family that, um, you know, there is some uh, mental issues within my family. Sure. It's just, you know, with everybody's family, yeah. someone's, yeah. you know, there's always something. And I, I think that my mom told me the other day when, you know, I was telling her how things were going with my therapist and she's, she's 80 years old. And she goes, Oh, if I would have just talked to somebody, oh. if I just could have seen a therapist, I think my life would have been so different. That's heartbreaking, you know, in a way. Yeah. But you're yeah. right. There's still a lot of we don't talk. You know, it's interesting because we're in, in 2022. You think like, oh, we're so open about it now. We just talk about mm -hmm. this. Well, we do. We're way better than we used to be at it. But, you know, in terms of people's social structures and family structures and even in some different cultures and subcultures, we don't talk about it. If right. you were raised in a mm -mm, this is not what we do environment mm -hmm. for whatever reason, familial, socially, culturally, there is still a stigma attached to needing help with your mental health. It's amazing, even now. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the one thing she did say, which I absolutely loved, and and I talked to her about, you know, my sessions with my therapist and to kind of feel like she's getting some help too, yeah. if she wants. But she told me, she goes, I'm so incredibly proud of you for doing that, for yeah. stepping up and taking care of yourself. I'm so proud of you. It's a big deal. And I, I applaud mm-hmm. anybody who, whether you're getting professional help or you just can stand up in the middle of the room and say, I need a little help here. Anybody like that is a big, big deal. It takes a lot of courage to do that. So my hat is off to anybody who does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I wanted to ask you this because I find it very interesting and I, and I've broached on this subject before. Sometimes I think it's easier, um, not so much for men to ask for help, but to step up and say, you know what, this isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go down this path. I think it's sometimes easier and I could be wrong because I know for women, we feel like if we say we need help like that, that we're failing in some way, our significant other, our children, our family, we're supposed to be the cornerstone, the foundation of what's happening. Do you find that? That is super interesting. So, you know, I think that, and then this is, this is the benefit of crowdsourcing. I have a large audience and a large community around the podcast and everything in my books. And what I see is that women are much more likely to openly talk about these things. That's true. But you Mm -hmm. guys are much more, and you would think that, you know, the hunter gatherer male role, I am the provider and the protector, and you know, all that nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Would keep a man from seeking help. But actually, this is anecdotal. I have no, there's no data behind this that I can point to. Maybe there is, but I don't know it. I think you guys carry more of a burden than we do in terms of caretaker because of that that caretaker role is different than the provider role. Yeah. And the caretaker role seems like it, the provider role is cyclical. I get up, I go, I hunt, I kill something, I bring it home and, and you make it. And then we eat mm-hmm. and then we sleep. You never, and the, your, the caretaker role never gets a day off. And so you yeah. have very little room to maneuver in when we add a stressor or we add things like anxiety or depression. You have less room to maneuver, I think, than we do. That's my mm-hmm. opinion after talking with many, many thousands of people. But men are also more likely to approach it in, this isn't working, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We know that male thing that says, well, I'm going to fix this. This is silly. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to kick its ass. I'm going to run over it. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So men yeah. are more likely to make a false start at recovering from anxiety problems than women are. Women are much more likely to, to listen a little more and take on, oh, no, okay, oh, it doesn't work that way. I can't run it over. Okay, tell me more. Whereas mm-hmm. a dude doesn't want to hear that. They just think I have to be a warrior and I run it over. This is what I do, but you can't. Yeah. 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 So good point. Well, and I think too, that with women, I, I was, um, I've talked to a lot of nurse navigators, doctors, things like that with this whole process with the boob report and a nurse navigator told me something very interesting too, with women, uh, depending on the race. So for example, mm-hmm. Hispanic women, yeah. Mexican women, um, more often than not, will put off treatment, will put off coming in and getting something done because they are the very foundation of the family and they can't not be there taking care of their kids. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I actually did a podcast episode about that exact thing. Like it was anxiety mm-hmm. recovery in the Latinx community. It was my friend, Dr. Lisa Cortez, is a psychologist that practices in Texas and she comes from the Latinx community. She said mm-hmm. exactly what you just said. In that mm-hmm. community, women are often looked at sideways when they do something for themselves. Mm. Okay, oh, you want to go out to the movies with your girlfriends? That's fine. Oh, you want to go to therapy? What the, yeah. you know, no, we don't do that. <laughs> and they get the side eye. That's a mm-hmm. that's true. That's a true thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just, that, that breaks my heart because, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, I can understand as a woman, because I felt like a failure when I got that breast cancer diagnosis, I looked at my husband and I literally apologized. I, oh. I said, I was sorry. Oh. And he's like, babe, what, for what? are you right. apologizing for? Yeah. But you see that's ingrained was, in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, absolutely. Yeah. And I just, I, I see where they're coming from that they need to be there to take care, you know, of their family, but big picture, if you don't help yourself, you're not going to be there yeah. to take care of your family. Yeah. So yeah. That's a, and that's across cultures. It's, that's it. It is. Uh, Dr. Lisa did explain in the Latinx community, but it goes across multiple cultures. There's that thing that says, no, no, no. You take care of everybody else. You don't take care of yourself. And if you take care of yourself, you're literally letting down everybody else. Cause you're not, if you're doing this, you can't be doing that. If you're in right. therapy, you can't be making dinner or making beds or, or whatever, or doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. Who the hell knows? So yeah, yeah it's not, yeah. Cool. not cool. It was uh, a funny little side note to that. Um, when I, right before my surgery, I had a couple of girlfriends come over and spend the night, uh, my best friend, Janine, and then Mia, our, our dear friend, Mia yeah, yeah. boss came over and we had cooked dinner. My husband was there with us and everything. And Mia and Janine were loading the dishwasher. And I was over there helping and loading the dishwasher. And my husband, Brett was like, babe, go sit down and relax. And I was like, can I just, I need to do this because I'm after next week, I'm not going to be able to do this for a while. Yeah. And I mean, just something as simple as loading the dishwasher, I felt like I was not going to be contributing. Yeah. You which, know? I get just, that. And yeah, Mia even brought that up um, that. the next day. She was like, I just, that just hit me. She was like, oh my God. And she just gave me a big hug yeah. for that. But it was just something as simple as that. And there's a sense of participation too, because there's a, it's a social <laughs> setting. Your friends are there and everybody's chipping in and you don't, it's lovely that they wanted you to just sit and relax, but no, 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 no. I want to contribute. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, a big part of the anxiety thing that we talk about, you know, in my community, like that activation. No, 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 no. I want to get up and help you load the dishwasher. That had to be a, a, a look, you were clearly facing some big shit the next day, but yes. at that moment, that's a little bit of a boost for you. You get up, you mm -hmm. activate, you do something, you engage with the world. And just right. for a minute, things get a little bit better for you. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a big, big deal. Retreat is. is the standard response that most humans have to an anxious state, but we actually have to learn to do the opposite. And, es mm -hmm. and especially with depression too, we really have to learn to do the opposite of what it's telling us to do. So, right. Yeah. Well, well, I wanted to touch because I was listening to one of your uh, podcasts um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was the one where you were talking about, um, it, not necessarily facing your fears, but mm -hmm. okay, I, I'm going to be fine. This is all going to be fine. You know, taking the breath, I'm going to get through this right. and not actually facing the actual thing that you're afraid of. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to touch base on that because that is something that I really, I'm getting better, but mm -hmm. I still struggle with that a little bit. <laughs> this is a, it's a hard one. This is very nuanced and in many ways counterintuitive. And people who listen to me, and I didn't, by the way, I didn't invent any of this. I don't have a system or a program or anything like that. This mm -hmm. is not anything new. We've been doing this for 60, 70 years now and refining these processes, right? So I'm just happen to be good at explaining it, I think. So right. people who stumble upon somebody like me for the first time will think like, you must be out of your mind. Like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to ground? I'm not supposed to calm and soothe. What do you mean I can't have my mantras and my affirmations? Like, well, here, <laughs> well, look, I, I don't have a problem with those things, but sometimes they do become a little bit maladaptive. So for instance, if you get into an anxious state 
And your default response to say, I must calm this and ground myself immediately, and I must repeat, this too shall pass, I am a warrior, it is okay, it is okay. You are literally rewarding your brain for sounding an alarm. No, no, you're right. This is dangerous. I need to get out of this. And then you launch mm -hmm. into a bunch of rituals designed to calm and soothe and make it go away. When in reality, if you did that with any other emotion, and I'm not, I know there's an argument whether anxiety is an emotion or not, and, and we could debate that. But if you did that because you were sad, oh, no, no, I have to, I, I have rituals to make my sadness, suppress it to make it go away. You would mm -hmm. tell anybody who said that, why are you doing that? That's not healthy. Right. Well, in a, in a way, the same thing happens in the anxiety state. Like, no, no, I have to soothe it. I have to calm it. I have to chant. I have to get my lavender oil. I have to, well, okay. But you're, you're trying to soothe yourself in the minute, but suddenly you decide, I've been, I've been sniffing lavender oil for three years and something's not right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's very nuanced and it's very counterintuitive. And, and if you're listening now, I'm not picking on your lavender oil, I promise. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah, if you've if you built a lot of rituals around your anxiety and things really aren't changing with the anxiety, except you're trying to manage it, well, we probably have mm -hmm. things to talk about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, I it's funny, I, I equate that with, um, and people who know me are, are just going to laugh at this. Um, I don't like to fly. I have a fear of flying. Okay. I've gotten much better. Um, my husband is a pilot, loves to fly. He's an, an excellent, <laughs> excellent pilot. Yeah. So I sounded like Rain Man there. Um, but <laughs> five minutes to Wapner. Yes. Yeah. He uh and I and I really want to, I accept that it is, I, I don't want to call it an irrational fear, mm -hmm. but I I feel like when I'm sitting on the plane and we hit turbulence, I literally grab a hold of each armrest. I plant my feet and I'm like trying to help the pilot steady the plane. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, but I, I now that I've just <laughs> accepted the fact, look, I don't like to fly. It makes me nervous. Okay. Then I talk myself through it. Yes. And the cool thing is, is that my husband has explained to me the different sounds and this is what happens and this is why it is. Right. So I have that knowledge when I look out and the wings are just kind of moving when we're going through turbulence, that's a good thing because yeah, you don't to do want that. them breaking off. Yeah. You know, that sound is the landing gear coming down. Yeah. This is what we're doing, you know? So for me, understanding the process is helping me work through that fear rather than just saying, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. No, I'm scared. I don't want to crash, but yeah, you know, yeah. just working through that process. And it's a, you, I hate to use the word navigate, pardon the pun, because you're talking about flying, mm -hmm. but it helps you navigate through your fear of flying a little bit better when there's less resistance to it. Yes. So that's interesting because what you're describing, and it's great, the person who's afraid of flying has a pilot as a husband. So it's great because you get to access all of his knowledge and, and that's helpful. But right. I'm sure you have noticed that all of Brett's knowledge does not make your fear go away. It will help you navigate through it a little more productively. So you don't mm -hmm. get to the other end of the flight as a as a wreck and exhausted because you've been gripping the seat like hot death the whole time. Right. In, in anxiety recovery, it's the same thing. We call that psychoeducation. So the first thing that happened, because people start to get into a state where it's like, I'm just so anxious, and they're focused on the fact that they are anxious. And when mm -hmm. you start to realize, and this is not root cause, why am I anxious? This is, what is the physiology behind anxiety? Why do you feel like that? Why does it make all these symptoms? Why do your thoughts get really out of control and sticky in a, when you get in an anxious state? You start mm -hmm. to learn, oh, this is how this works. That's called psychoeducation. And then you can use that knowledge to start to react differently in an anxious state. So right. exactly what you did with flying is exactly mm -hmm. what you would do with the rest of your anxiety. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah.
Yeah. It's so there you go. Leg up. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I mean, I, I, it's funny because I know one time we were, I was on a super bumpy flight and the, and the woman sitting next to me, we were coming in to land in, into Denver and yeah. it's always pretty bumpy coming in to land. It doesn't matter if the weather's absolutely 100% perfect. It's, you know, usually bumpy. And she was like, why isn't the pilot saying anything? And I go, he's busy. He's, you know, he's doing his thing. I'm totally fine with him not talking right now. It's all good. He's super busy. <laughs> That's a really good point. He's, he's got his stuff up there. He's doing the flight attendants filling us in. It's all yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. Good. That's too funny. But yeah. it's funny how the mechanism is very similar. You learn kind of what it is and the learning doesn't stop it. It doesn't make it stop, but it helps you navigate through it a little better. Right. So awareness and that, and is important. I try to apply that to other things now too. I mean, I'm five years out from my breast breast cancer diagnosis, yeah. but each year when I go in to see the on oncologist, that anxiety starts building up. Why wouldn't it? And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, you know what? There could be a chance that maybe it comes back. Um, we're just we're just gonna get through this. We're gonna breathe. We're gonna, yeah. yeah cancer scares the shit out of me. I've already had it once. Really don't want to have it again, but. Let's get in there and find out yeah. so that we're not wondering. That's completely so. and utterly understandable. Why Why wouldn't you be nervous, apprehensive, afraid? You might anticipate that that appointment. That's mm -hmm. all normal. The yeah. Things go off the rails for people who are experiencing legitimate health problems when the fact that they are in that state becomes a problem in and of itself. Mm -hmm. That's when things get really tough. So you have that actual legitimate issue cancer and a fear of recurrence, which everybody would, no one would disagree with you. Yeah. You'd be nervous about that too. But the fact that they get into an anxious state an anticipatory anxiety state, or they're, they're ruminating and they're thinking and they're, they're thinking ahead and trying to predict the future. This, that state itself becomes the problem even to as the same degree or greater degree than the actual fear of the cancer, the mm -hmm. anxious state itself, the racing brain, the thoughts, the sensations, the fear that becomes the primary problem sometimes. So yeah. the, the medical condition and the medical stress that you're facing kicks off that that sort of disordered state where the anxiety becomes a means to itself now. Mm -hmm. that very, very common in those situations. Well, and I, you know, neither one of us have a medical degree, but right, I, right. Um, unless you have one and you just haven't shared No, that no, any. no, I do not have a medical okay. <laughs> I do okay. not play a doctor on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did I stay in a holiday I, inn. Right. Um, I... Because there's no history of cancer in my family right. whatsoever. Right. So um, I really think, and, and you know, I've talked to a couple of doctors about this, stress and anxiety play a major yeah. factor in a lot of people's health. Yep. You know, if you're living in that constant, anxious, stressed out, uh, I don't know, bubble, yeah. whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, it can really cause some serious health problems for people. Which is a, a really tough cycle to get in because somebody who is dealing with a cancer diagnosis and is trying to take care of themselves the best possible way they can, mm -hmm. that makes things even worse because now you get into an anxious state. The anxiety itself becomes something to be afraid of. But now you're mm -hmm. also aware that, oh my God, I'm anxious, which means I'm stressed, which means I'm hurting my, I'm hurting my body, air quotes. I'm not mm -hmm. denying that link. You, you, we don't want to walk around stressed all the time, clearly. But then it then it fuels more anxiety because I'm anxious about my health, but then I feel like being anxious about my health is damaging my health, which makes me anxious about my health. So you get yeah. into this, this never-ending cycle. Yeah. yeah, really hard. Understanding that you're in it is the first step to sort of breaking it. Oh, I don't have to, I don't have to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also very common. If you're anxious because you're dealing with this problem right now, and then you're anxious because you're anxious, and then you're anxious because the anxiety is going to somehow exacerbate them, or you think it's going to exacerbate the medical problem, yeah, that cycle just kicks off. Now you're in it. Right. You're on the hamster wheel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's something that I've really had to work on for me yep. to uh, process that and go through it because I really think you know, the years leading up to my diagnosis, what lots of stress, lots of anxiety, you know, just uh, things that were going on in our personal life, financial things like that. And I, and I think that that honestly was a contributing factor to the, to the cancer, but um, yeah, 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 that's uh, I, I would love to have a, um, a medical expert on that. That would be my goal is to have someone on to kind of associate, you know, how your mental state can really affect your physical state. Sure. Yeah. Know, we, in, as far as fascinating stress. conversation. And, and you hear about that stuff quite a bit. So I'm not discounting that mm-hmm. at all, but you know, yeah. my role in this is really to just be informative about the fact that being anxious about being anxious and then being anxious because you're anxious and you think it will exacerbate that that's not required that yeah. we, we can actually address that. Um, right. It's not easy because a lot of this stuff is really not easy to do because at the heart, if you are dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis right now and you are anxious about that, no one would blame you. The way to keep the anxiety from lighting its own self-fueling fire is to really, you have to slow down, you have to be very mindful and you have to be understanding that right now you're in a position of uncertainty, which nobody wants to be in. And no amount of thinking or being afraid will solve the uncertainty right now. It be, it's a difficult road to hoe because it really means slowing down and really just navigating that uncertainty one hour at a time sometimes without mm-hmm. going into bracing mode, fighting mode. If I think enough, I'll figure it out, I'll solve it. These are hard things for people to let go of when they get mm-hmm. into that cycle. So, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been incredibly fascinating and a very um, – Eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, and I, like I said, my goal is to help help women just really realize there's just so many steps go, to go through on your, your journey towards sure. uh, survivorship, thrivership, and all that good stuff. So I truly appreciate, number one, you being the first male on the Boob Report. So and special. of course, <laughs> being able to, to talk us, you know. Tell us more about anxiety and depression, because I think it's incredibly important, Drew. I just really think we need to be more open and honest with ourselves and with other people when we when we need that help. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And ask for help. When you need it, ask for help. There's nothing wrong with asking mm-hmm. for help. You gotta yeah. do it. So. Awesome. Glad to be here. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Very welcome. You take care. You too. Such a great and informational time with Drew. And a very big thank you to him for being the very first male guest on our show. That really meant a lot to me. We have links and information where you can learn more about him and his podcast, The Anxious Truth, on our website, www.theboobreport.com slash podcast episode 22 show notes. And a very big thank you to all of you for spending time with us today. Be sure to like and follow us and definitely share the podcast with your friends. You can become an active listener and support this podcast by clicking on the podcast link on our website at www.theboobreport.com. Take care.